Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم والصلاة والسلام على رسوله الكريم والحمد لله رب العالمين حمد الشاكرين رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وحلل عقدة من لساني يفقه قولي السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Dear brothers and sisters uh, One more time I'm absolutely uh, happy to be with you again uh, This is a place where we have launched so many sessions on uh, uh, economic issues, political issues, on the tafsir of Qur'an. We had a series of Qur'an from this place. Uh, for the last few months, I was absent overseas, uh, had my work in Jordan. So to, tonight we are here. Uh, inshallah, we will share some thoughts and ideas about what is going on in the world from the political perspective and of course we will uh, attach this and tie it up from the Islamic perspective because after all we are not political analysts, we are not journalists, we are not uh, uh, political science majors, we are Muslims and for us the political, uh, political activity means the ability to conduct the affairs of Muslims from the perspective of Islam. And so when we understand the politics of the world, we understand it so that we we can off so we uh, we and when we do the political analysis we try to understand the politics of the world so that is uh, in order to be able to conduct our affairs as Muslims in the best manner uh, uh, we can do. And the most uh, active example today, of course, is the case in Afghanistan. It's, uh, it's a very uh, uh, well-received uh, case. It's a case where uh, today we see the political uh, involvement and engagement of the entire world from the United States, Russia, China, uh, United Nations, uh, European Union, Britain, all, each and every one has a plan, each and every one has a strategy, and these are political, uh, political issues. And eventually they could or they would impact the situation as it evolves in Afghanistan. So understanding those political stands uh, and the world order behind it is very important and without it, without understanding that we may not be able to proceed as we are supposed or expected to proceed uh, from this perspective before I go any farther at least since we are in a masjid here and each time we talk about this issue somebody would be curious about the uh, how can this be related to the earlier Muslims at the time of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And I will be begin with a story that's reported in Surah Ar-Rum. Now Surah Ar-Rum, which begins with the fight that took place between the Persians and the Romans. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Alif, Lam, Mim, Ghulibat ar-Rum, 
في أدنى الأرض وهم من بعد غلبهم سيغلبون ألف لاميم The Roman Empire has been defeated in the uh, farthest part of the earth which is way away from Medina or Mecca at the time it was not even Medina and Allah Azza wa Jal confirms however in few years the fight will come back and the Romans will win the war again against the Russians and then Allah Azza wa Jal proceeds with that وَيَوْمَئِذِي يَفْرَحُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ بِنَصْرِ اللَّهِ and at that during that time when the victory comes back to the Romans during that time the Muslims the Mu'mineen the believers are going to have a, a, a joyful day يَفْرَحُ الْمُؤْمِنُونَ the Mu'mineen will, will be glad will be happy بِنَصْرِ اللَّهِ with the victory given by Allah Azza wa Jal now of course the commentators had different perspectives on this but the most valid perspective is that the time at the time when the Romans will win against the Persians there will be there will be a victory for the Muslims for the Muslims which they will celebrate on their own it's not that they will celebrate or be happy for the victory of the Romans over the Persians it says during that era that time of the war between the Persians and the Romans the Muslims will have a victory of their own to uh, to to enjoy and to celebrate and to be happy with this is a political analysis this is understanding the politics of the world this is a surah named after a war that took place between two fighting empires and those fighting empires they were running according to our terminology today the world order today the world order is a term that you quite often here and uh, the people talk about during the early days of the coronavirus so uh, tens of articles from prominent uh, politicians like Henry Kissinger like Zbigniew Brzezinski like Carter himself they have brought the issue of world order and change of the world order during the pandemic the world order issue came right after the defeat of the Soviet Union when the Soviet Union was defeated in Afghanistan and later on it collapsed and it uh, uh, it let go or it actually it was evicted out of the world order and George Bush the father stood in front of the Congress the joint session of the Congress in the uh, State of the Union speech says now that the Soviet Union had uh, left the world order and had been defeated and collapsed today there is a new world order in the making so that is something that had to do with two fighting empires, just like the Romans and the Persians. So again, our involvement when we discuss this issue, we, are, we do not discuss it simply because of lack of topics. Uh, because someone would say, oh brother, why don't you just go back to the tafsir of the Quran? That's the Quran as revealed as you were doing in the past. I said, well, what's the difference? Uh, today, if I was continuing the uh, tafsir as the sessions as we are doing probably tonight would be the surah to rome because it's uh, one of the surahs revealed in, in in mecca and then we'll be talking about the world order then but then why don't we talk about the world order today and its impact on the muslim ummah now having said this introduction let me mention 
some history here. During the First World War, when the First World War erupted, and the uh, Germans, Italians, they uh, launched a war against some of the other Western neighbors, Britain, France, and then the Ottoman state, which was at the time in Turkey, it participated in the First World War because it, from the perspective of the Ottoman state at the time, that this is in the interest of the Islamic state. But then they took the side of Germany and what we call them the Axis. And the result of that war was the very interesting, the removal of the Ottoman state from the world order altogether because it was dismantled, disfragmented. Uh, the Ottoman state actually uh, collapsed and the Khilafah collapsed right after the uh, few, few years after the, the, the first, world order, uh, first World War. In fact, it was already in the process of collapse. And 1924 was the final end of the, uh, of the state. So that was a political event that impacted the Muslim Ummah altogether. How did it impact the Muslim Ummah? After that, after the eviction of the Islamic State of Khilafah from the world order, after the collapse of the state itself, after the fact that the Muslim Ummah did not have a valid, strong representative who can protect the Muslim lands and Muslim people, the Muslim Ummah was disintegrated in the same fashion as the Soviet Union was disintegrated in 1991. The Soviet Union was 15 republics. After 1991, when it collapsed, each republic took its independence. Uzbekistan, Kyrgyzstan, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, Ukraine, uh, Latvia, Lithuania, Estonia, uh, Kazakhstan, uh, Armenia, Georgia, all of these, probably I missed some of them, but mainly these were the 15 republics and they were dismantled. And now each and every one of them has bec had become a weak state, much weaker than it was under the Soviet uh, powerful nuclear power. Similarly, at the beginning of the last century when the Ottoman state was dismantled, today then the, the, the Ummah of Islam, which was supposed to be one, which was united and unified one way or another under the leadership of the, uh, of the Khilafah, it was dismantled, uh, to, uh, and then we had uh, Jordan, a tiny little country. Lebanon has become a country which is absolutely does not stand as even a sub-state uh, as a country. Syria, Iraq, uh, Iran, then Pakistan. Later on, of course, Pakistan emerged out of uh, uh, India because the whole Indian subcontinent was uh, uh, remotely detached from the Islamic State or the Islamic world. And then you have Morocco, Tunis, uh, Algeria, Egypt, Libya, and what have you. Each and every one is a tiny little state. Um, and uh, some states like Lebanon, uh, the other states in the Gulf, like Oman, like Bahrain, like Qatar, like Emirates, those are not even states. At the time, they were called the Mashiachat. These are uh, tiny little units which are led by Sheikh. So, but this was a result of the a fragmentation and disintegration of the Islamic State when a world order went into a change. Now, after the first world order, the world remained in chaos almost. A new country emerged, a new power of the Soviet Union, which actually emerged 
1917, directly at the end of the First World War, Soviet Union was born. Soviet Union with a new ideology, socialism. Now, socialism, as opposed to capitalism, could have never emerged in the world if there had not been a chaos, or I would call it a vacuum, because the disintegration of a powerful state like the Ottoman state, the the the, the destruction of Germany and Italy, the almost beaten up Britain and the France, almost uh, have lost millions of people and lost infrastructure. So the whole world was in chaos, was in political vacuum. Political vacuum allows some other powers or units to emerge, just like the air vacuum. Today, if you evacuate this place from the air, you suck it out somehow, then things are going to fall in in order to fill the vacuum. This could be a ceiling that could fall, and air from outside will have a pressure, and you will have absolutely chaos. You don't even know what is falling, what's collapsing, what's coming in. Why would this uh, bottle just uh, crack or be crushed? You will you, you have no idea how things are changing or evolving, the dynamics of things. Why? Because there is a vacuum. So when there is a vacuum, things from nowhere can fill in the vacuum, or things which were waiting outside to come in, they would come in because there is a vacuum. So the Soviet Union and socialism, which was absolutely opposed by Western powers and by Muslims at the same time, because socialism and communism is equated with atheism and materialism. And materialism is absolutely opposed by uh, idealism, which is capitalism and democracy, and the atheism is absolutely opposed by Muslims and Islam. So there is no way in the world the Soviet Union under socialism or communism or atheism could have entered the world arena. Absolutely not. But when there was a vacuum, a political vacuum, it crept in. It crept in. And it stayed in until 1991. So that was one which has to do with Muslims and Islam. Now the new world order in the making after the First World War, one of their objectives one of that objectives is to make sure that Islam and the Khilafah never returns back. And this was what Britain and the France, when they regained their power, they made it clear uh, for all their agents, all their collaborators, when they collaborated with Sharif Hussein in, in Mecca uh, and Mustafa Kemal in Turkey and the so-called the families in the, in the Gulf states and in Saudi Arabia and the monarchs in the subcontinent, India, and all of these. Look, the world order that we have just finished with, one of the powers that left the world order should never come back, which is Islam. Why? Because Islam and the Islamic State continue to pose not a threat, but a challenge and a promise, a promise to change the lives of the people to be absolutely independent of exploitations of capitalists and the, and the oppressive regimes. And that is absolutely not, not welcome. Now, almost, almost a non or unstable world order continued until the, first, the, until the Second World War erupted. Because, again, from the pure 
Politically speaking, after the end of the First World War and the emergence of the Soviet Union and the involvement, the hesitant involvement of the United States. Let's pay attention. United States entered the First World War uh, at the time of Woodrow Wilson very uh, uh, hastily. It was not very much interested. United States had not yet tasted the fruits of imperialism like Britain and France. United States had tasted the fruit of development inside here within the, the, the countries of the United States. There was development. Uh, people were enjoying a new ride with a new banking system, new financial systems, and they were getting happy here. They have, they have not tasted what's called the fruit of imperialism and the, uh, the goodies that exist mainly in the Middle East and Africa. They did not know the value of gold in Africa. The values which could emerge from the Middle East, which later on were known as the oil and gas, etc., it, it was not known. So United States hastily was trying to probe the world order all the way until the Second World War. Until the Second World War, the United States did not have a serious involvement. It was there. Uh, it was it made itself visible. It was taking notice of the emergence of Soviet Union and socialism. It was a bit worried that this new idea can creep into the Western Hemisphere of the United States and Canada, especially where there is lots of exploitations here with the uh, African Americans, with the workers with the peasants, with all of this, they knew that the socialists now can have a very serious impact on the stability of the system here. So they were taking note. Second World War came. Again, one more destructions, one more fight. More than 40, 40 million people or lives of people were lost in Russia, in the Soviet Union, in Germany, in Italy, in Britain, in France, all over. America, to a lesser extent, it got uh, hit. It got hurt a little bit, but the end of the Second World War was much more crisp than the First World War. United States is victorious. It was able to use its nuclear weapon to show its mass destructive weapons. It used that against Japan. It showed its muscles. It showed that it means business and it can do things. It can do big things. It can actually hit countries with the nuclear atomic bombs, and it did. And that's a new change, which means Second World War allowed the power of the United States to come almost as the unique, most powerful nation in the world. And the Soviet Union also emerged as a rival, as a country that could rival the United States, that could compete with the United States, that could cause a threat to its neighbors or to the stability of the world. Between 1945, and which is the end of the Second World War, and 1956, a war between United States and Soviet Union almost always on the brink of a hot war. On the brink of a hot war, which means it was so serious that any mistake or any error in the political activity could have led to a third world country, this time 
absolutely devastating with nuclears. So both countries, they were looking, Soviet Union and the United States, to reorganize the world order in a manner, in a manner that we can control stability and peace. Now, someone will tell me, well, the Security Council of the United Nations was supposed to do that. But the Security Council of the United Nations was as weak as the Security Council of the League of Nations before it. It could not have prevented a catastrophic war. So United States and the Soviet Union decided between themselves, let's share instead of fight, let's share. Let's have the world as a cake and we will get each one a piece of it. And that was a new type of thinking in the world. And from that time on, according to Brzezinski, who was the national security advisor for Jimmy Carter, in his book in 1999, he wrote called Between Hegemony and Leadership, United States uh, uh, Power Divided Between Hegemony and Leadership. He writes, since the end of the Second World War, United States realized that for it, for the United States to be able to enjoy the goodies of the world and to sustain its hegemony, not leadership, hegemony, it needs arrival. It needs arrival. But arrival that it can talk to. It's not arrival that it can fight with, arrival that it can talk to, which means an enemy. And hundreds of articles were written in the foreign affairs, in the foreign policy, in books, in many places, called In Search of Enemies. In Search of Enemies. In Search of an Enemy. So the United States, after the Second World War, was so happy that now we have a good enemy, a strong enemy, a powerful enemy, but he is, but this enemy we can talk to. And we can discuss our common affairs between us and the rest of the world had to listen and to see the outcome of our talks. And here let me give you an example, just to refresh our minds, especially those who are old enough like myself, although I did not witness the event I'm talking about firsthand, but at least I was born that time and I was not a tiny little kid, I was growing up. In 1962, 1962, I was five years old, anyway. But in 1962, the Soviet Union made a deal with Cuba, right here at the border of the United States, to launch or to, to install missiles, nuclear-carrying missiles in Cuba, which means it's a direct threat to the United States. The missiles right on the border. They did the first batch of installment. The second batch of installment was arriving in a ship. And of course, it was monitored. United States monitored that. Kennedy was getting upset, frustrated. He could be evicted or uh, impeached in, in the, by the Congress for allowing the Soviet Union to be on, on, uh, on the back door. So Kennedy calls upon Khrushchev. Let's meet and talk. And they did meet in Vienna. Very famous meeting. Just like the meeting 
Biden and Putin had in Vienna. Did they meet in Vienna or in Geneva? I think it's in Vienna, their meeting. So that meeting, they decided that let's put an end to this conflict. Soviet Union will withdraw its missiles. Uh, America will withdraw part of the missiles it was launching or installing in Turkey. That was the deal. And then we would solve the problems of the world between us alone. Forget about Britain, about France, about the Security Council. So it's a new world order with two rivals. One of them is the United States and the other is the Soviet Union. And that was a perfect world order from the perspective of America and the Soviet Union. Because the entire world was under their hegemony. Western Europe must be part of NATO. Eastern Europe must be part of Warsaw. Western Europe would not do any political activities outside its borders until and unless they take the permission of the United States, otherwise the Soviets are watching. Eastern Europe would not do any activity outside their borders, absolutely not, unless the Soviet Union accepts and agrees, otherwise the United States would blow them up and the Soviet will not be able to give them protection. So that's how the, the world was, was in total fear. And those who look sometimes at movies, the ones which were uh, uh, created and released in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, see the day after, the D-Day, those things that talk about nuclear warfare, the whole world is destroyed, and then some few would emerge one more time and live, but that was to scare the world. Hollywood was acting uh, uh, 24 hours to produce movies and uh, actions so that the entire world would be scared. Which scared means, okay, I need protection. I need the macho guy. Just like gangs. If you are in a place where gangs are very dominant, like in Southside Chicago or some other places, you better find someone who can protect you. Otherwise, you will be crushed and no one can care about you. So you need some the, 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 the big macho guy who can protect you in the world. And that was the world order which continued until 1991. Now, what happened in 1991? Soviet Union decided that we can no longer take this ugly game between us and the United States. We can no longer play as a rival and then at the end of the day we, we were defeated in Afghanistan. United States supplied arms and support to the Mujahideen in Afghanistan. United States did not keep its word and at any point of time they can really crush us. So Soviet Union decides we will have implosion. You know the word implosion, those of you are, who are civil engineers, implosion when you collapse from within and you don't have impact on your, uh, uh, on your surrounding. So the whole building falls down within itself. So Soviet Union created an implosion which did not impact anything outside. Soviet Union collapsed. Republics got their independence. Russia emerged as the, the inheritor, the one that inherited the, the, the wealth and the power of the Soviet Union. But we no longer play as a rival. And immediately since 1991, United States had lost 
its main theme of an enemy that lost that strength, that power, that element, that core, that attraction, if you will, call it whatever you want. This is something that it can use in order to dominate the rest of the world. We no longer have an enemy. We no longer can scare Europe with Soviet Union. We no longer can scare the Middle East or Africa that the Soviet Union can eat you up. Socialism can creep in. Atheism can, 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 can convert your youth into kafirs. It's gone. It's over. So we can no longer do that. And just to, to be complete here, in less than a year, after the, after the removal of the Soviet Union, when the Soviet Union actually in, uh, I think it's September 91, that's the month in which the, uh, the parliament of the Soviet Union made a decision that Soviet Union is dissolved, each republic can have its own independence, and then we will create what is called the CIS, the Commonwealth of Independent States, which was just a formal uh, reorganization of some countries. Socialism is no longer the ideology of the country. We are moving toward democracy and capitalism. Done. September 91. In February 92, which is five months after, the declaration of the EU, the European Union, Maastricht Treaty, which announced the birth of the European Union. European Union was in the making, in the mentality of the European countries, Germany, France, Holland, Belgium, uh, Austria, uh, uh, Italy, uh, Denmark, all of these countries, they were dreaming for since the 50s, they started what is calling the, the European Common Market. European common market, that means you can trade within Europe with very little customs. Easy trade, export, import. But the dream was to have a union. A union without borders. A union with one currency. A union with one political foreign policy agenda. A union with potentially having a security army just like the NATO. In fact, a replacement of the NATO. That was their dream. But that dream had always been crushed on the basis that EU cannot survive in front of the Soviet Union and therefore better for European countries just remain in NATO under the umbrella of the United States. 1991 comes, Soviet Union collapses, the threat is gone in less than five months, declare the European Union. Maastricht Treaty, where Maastricht is a city near Amsterdam in Holland. They meet the big elites from Germany, France, Britain, Belgium, etc., etc., all of these, Italy, 12 countries actually, they met and they signed the Treaty of Maastricht Treaty, which announced the birth of the European Union with the following agenda and structure. The European Union shall have a headquarter in, in Belgium, in, in Brussels. The European Union shall have a, a parliament of its own, a congress, just like a European Congress. The European Union shall have a security a secretary general. 
uh, or who can run the affairs of the uh, uh, of the union, it must have a representative of the foreign policies, which which is actually the European uh, envoyee for uh, foreign affairs. This could not have happened when the Soviet Union wa was there. So that again, again, a vacuum in a vacuum in the world order allows a new powers, a new type of power to emerge. Just like the Soviet Union emerged at the end of the First World War when there was a vacuum, today, when the Soviet Union collapsed itself in 1991, almost 70 years uh, after uh, uh, its birth, EU had emerged. A new power, although it's from the same democratic capitalistic perspective, I mean, they are from the same domain, Western domain, but politically they are not. Politically, Europe and the United States are diverse. They are different. They have different agendas. They belong to the same camp. They belong to the same capitalism, same democracy, same civilization, same separation of church and the state, same imperialism. But nevertheless, they have different political agendas. So EU emerged. Now, when EU emerged, the United States, in order to gain back its hegemony, hegemony to gain back its dominance over the world, it needs now a foul. It needs a foul. It needs to replace the Soviet Union. Now the EU, the EU tells the United States, look, we are friends. Come on, yeah, we are powerful, but we are friends. We cannot be enemies. After all, we both have the same church, we both have the same Pope, we both have democracy, we both have the, uh, capitalism, come on. Don't consider us, consider us as enemy. Nevertheless, the United States tried, tried very hard to antagonize Europe. And they created what's called the Balkan War in the backyard of Europe, the Balkanization, the separation of Yugoslavia, which you, we all know the separation of Yugoslavia was very, uh, uh, was very harmful, was very bloody. The war against Bosnia-Herzegovina, the, the war between so Serbia and Croatia, all of these wars, and then the Montegomero, uh, they were in the backyard of Europe. And the United States did not want that war to stop. And they asked European countries, they said, and this is documented, EU, now you are EU, you are European Union, and there is a war in your back, backyard, go and stop it. Try to stop Serbia. Now the EU, they told the United States, no, we can't. This is an issue of world scale. And you, the United States, continues to be the world leader. Go and solve the problem yourself. Until 1994, when Clinton held the meeting in Dayton, Ohio, and there was called the Dayton Treaty, and in Dayton decided that, okay, the United States will end up the war in Serbia. And started launching attacks, military uh, airstrikes against Serbia, and then immediately the Serb knew that means United States means business. And the EU was absolutely blunt. We cannot play and replace the Soviet Union as a foe for the United States to achieve its objectives at the expense of Europe. So they were shrewd. That failed. 
United States tried to antagonize China. And in the same war, China had an embassy in Belgrade. United States airstrikes, they hit the Chinese embassy. And they said the coordinates of the embassy, which we had, were wrong. Because China gave the coordinates of their embassy to the U.S. Air Force to avoid attacking the embassy. Instead of avoiding the attack, they did attack the embassy. In a step to antagonize China, China immediately declared that we recognize that this is a mistake, it's an error. And therefore, we will forget and forgive about the blood of Chinese which was spilled in Belgrade. It's an, it was an act of antagonizing China so China can rise up to the level of being a foul. China says, no, we don't want to play that game. Try it again. And go and check the history. I, now, now, I'm, now I talk my memories, not only what I, I'm reading. United States allowed one of its big uh, uh, airplanes, which are Air Force, uh, sophisticated Air Force uh, pieces, to fly over Chinese territory. Physically, to be on the Chinese territory, China now shoots down an airplane. One of the most advanced, one of the most advanced technically uh, warfare airplanes was flown over Chinese territory. Now, Americans says, oh, it flew by mistake. What do you mean by mistake? When you have all of this sophistication in the plane, you have all the coordinates. And you, and you have the warnings, and you, have, you are flying across the Indian Ocean, and all your bases in Philippines, in Malaysia, and other places, they can tell you, come on, guy, where are you going? This is Chinese border. And you continue there until you get hit by a rocket. And then the plane comes down, and America now makes a big deal out of it, antagonizing China. So what China does, it collects all the remainders of the plane, it puts them in boxes, in sacks and everything, ships them to America and says, we are sorry, your plane came into our air, maybe by mistake, but we shoot it by mistake too. So we apologize. No antagonization. So China resents. What can America do? Here comes now the third trial. This time, this time, now before I proceed, there was an article written in New York Times, 1992-93, somewhere there. They talk about a trip taken by James Baker, the ex-foreign minister during the George Bush, the father administration. They say he is touring the world in search of an enemy. He's looking for enemies. Which enemy is going to play with us? It's like... You know, when you want to play chess, you are very much good in chess. Hey guys, anybody who plays chess with me, I, I want someone to play. I want someone to beat, because I know I can win. So you're looking for a player, and when you guys, each one of you knows my skills, even if you play chess, you say, no, 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 we are not playing. Come on, you want to make fun of us in front of everybody. We're not doing that. 
So now no one wants to play game with the United States. So United States chooses and selects Islamic terrorism. And that's where the catch here. That's our tie, what we are tying this to Afghanistan. America decides that no one wants to play. Let's get a phantom enemy. An enemy that is absolutely virtual. An enemy that you cannot touch. An enemy that you cannot see. An enemy like uh, what you call them Ashbah min Ashbah just phantom. Just I think Ashbah means phantom. Because Islam, there is no state that represents Islam. There is no there is no khilafa that says Ottoman like the Ottomans. We are fighting the Ottomans. What is Islam that you are fighting? Oh, terrorism. What is terrorism? These are acts of violence that are taken by individuals or groups here and there, which can pop out from almost nowhere and cause a harm here, or harm there, and then we have what is called it's a huge big enemy but how can we make this a real sponsor 9-11 9-11 attack on our pentagon attack on the world trade centers which is the two symbols of america financial power and military power pentagon and finances and there is attack what are these attacks called terrorism Yet before even making any investigation, before any any slight piece of information on the attacks, George Bush on the 12th of September, September 11, all the events take place and all the media talking about the, the destructions and the power destructions, keep repeating the image of the two planes hitting the uh, World Trade Uh, center the towers of the World Trade Organization uh, in New York and another one hitting DC in the Pentagon 24 hours were showing that image next day George Bush the son George W. Bush stands up in the close where the, the destructions was taking place say we are now in a state of war against terrorism And then he called it a crusade war. We don't even know yet who did this. They did not yet find the passport which they claim that the whole destruction took place, everything burned, but the passports of the individuals, subhanallah, were found in the rebels. I mean, it's like uh, some of those cartoonic movies which I never watched, and it was not during my age, Oh, except for Tom and Jerry and the other ones. You don't even see them there. This is very, very, it's ridiculous. So now we are in war with terrorism. World, take note. Take note. Now we are going to do anything under the name of fighting terrorism. And if you don't stand on my side and don't take a shelter under my umbrella, you are my target. And that was his words. So not mine. You are with us or against us. And if you are against us, you are our enemy. And if you are enemy, you are target. We cannot spare you. 
and he finds a coalition within few months to go and invade Afghanistan. And the coalition just withdrew today. Many of us, we didn't even know that Belgium had troops there. Oops, they do. They just got out. We didn't know that even Germany, the country that is not supposed to have an army outside its borders since the 1945, by the treaty of occupation of Germany, occupying Germany, Germany was not supposed to have any military existence outside its borders. It did have military existence in Afghanistan under the umbrella of the United States. United States brought the entire world. Turkey had troops in Afghanistan under the umbrella of the the United States. Jordan had troops in Afghanistan under the umbrella of the United States. Why? Terror. There is terrorism. We have to go and fight terrorism. And that was the birth, the birth of a new world order, a new world order, which is now the United States is in fight with terrorism, with Islamic terrorism. They call it Islamic terrorism. Had nothing to do with Islam. All of the so-called violent acts, powerful violent acts, which took place in Britain, on the bridges close to the Times Square, to the Times Times uh, the Big Ben uh, clock. Uh, in France, next to the Champs-Élysées, in Belgium, where the EU is, all of these, they were very devastating, violent attacks. They attach them to a group A or B or C. Now, group A or B or C, they could exist in reality or they could be themselves a phantom. Quite often, Quite often we say there is a group and it comes under a title of a leader where that leader never shown on TV, never shown on public media, never shown on, on social media. Well, today social media can show the ants which uh, creep under the, under the ground. And out of a sudden this big, big guy who is able to explode places in Belgium and Britain and France in the United States, in, in the rest of the world, we don't even see his picture. We don't even know him. We just know a name, which we never know whether this name has a birth certificate or not. That is the phantom terrorism that the United States was fighting since 1991 in replacement of the Soviet Union. But we all know, we all know that this, this can fire back at any point of time against the United States. U.S. knows that. But nevertheless, it did use it until it finds a replacement. So I always call it, that's a temporary world order. No vacuum, it's politically viable, it allows the big state to achieve its objectives, but it's temporary. Temporary until we find a replacement, a real replacement, because anything that has the word Islam can fire back. And let me give an example. ISIS, ISIS was one way or another, one way or another, the formulation of the United States. That's what Trump accused Clinton of. That's what Obama mentioned at one point of time. That's what Clinton herself in her book, she has a book that she wrote about her diaries while in the, as a foreign minister at the time of Obama. 
directly mentions that ISIS without the United States involvement in Iraq, one way or another could not have existed. Now this word could mean two things. Could mean it came as a response to our existence or it could be it came as a result of our uh, encouragement. And the second one is valid. And when ISIS emerged in Iraq, it took over Mosul, orders were given to the Iraqi army which was trained by the United States leave your weapons and run away. It's a very strong terrorist group. Well, after all, you have an army to fight the terrorist group. And when the terrorist group comes in, you say the army run away. It doesn't make sense. But nevertheless, when ISIS was almost dismantled in Syria and in Iraq, thousands, thousands and thousands of the followers these are Muslims. These are Muslims. Look, our leadership failed us. Where do we go? What do we do? Now they have to find a safe haven within a genuine, genuine Islamic groups and Islamic parties and Islamic movement. In other words, playing with Islam, even in the absence of top Islamic leadership, it's dangerous. And the United States realized that. Until today, it suffers from that. And going now into the issue of Afghanistan, 2001, when the United States had the 9-11 uh, uh, stuff, decided to invade Afghanistan and kick Taliban out. It did kick Taliban. Within a few days, airstrikes took place on Kabul. United States, with the help of the, with the northern troops coming from Masoud Pipe, they came and marched into Kabul almost at no cost, almost in no time. But that, as I mentioned, was temporary. Temporary because we don't have what it takes to lead the world. So we need to show that there is a big taboo in the world, which is called Taliban and Afghanistan and the terror, not Taliban actually, Al-Qaeda. And they made it sound okay. Osama bin Laden is in Afghanistan. Until we get bin Laden, everybody is under our uh, uh, pressure and within our uh, arms and we are going to shoot anyone who is behind Osama bin Laden, behind Al-Qaeda. And that's what they just said, repeated it again. Now, jump 20 years ahead, Look at the few years ago when Trump was in power, when he was antagonizing China again. So let's go back here a little bit. Trump, from the first day he came in, he, his administration declared that China is our most, uh, uh, the strongest enemy we have in the world. Our worst enemy is China. And then he did the trade embargoes, he increased the taxes on their products, he pressured China to, to increase the value of their one uh, so that it becomes more expensive for them to export goods. Tried all ways to antagonize China. And then the virus, Corona came in, they called it the China virus. And you all know that. That was not, it was not just a simple, stupid 
Because sometimes it shows in the media, oh, this is stupid Trump saying that. This is idiot. It, it is idiotic type of thing, but politically, it's viable. Politically, he's antagonizing China. He's going after it. Actually, in one at one point of time, when he mentioned that China is responsible for the spread of virus, and China has to pay for each and every single cost that the Western powers are, uh, are experiencing. Germany sent an invoice to the Chinese around April 2000, April 2000, which is uh, almost two months after the declaration of the spread of the virus, for 120 billion euros. The cost that the Chinese virus caused uh, Germany. They calculated how many airplanes were grounded, how many passengers uh, lost their work, how many people stopped their work, how many people died, how many people got infected, how many people got in the hospital, how many masks we had to buy. They calculated all of this and they came up with a number $120 billion. Of course, China will not pay, but it's a show. It's a show that now you are our target. And then what really made the made a nightmare to Trump when the Chinese foreign minister and the prime minister announced publicly that all of these acts are to drag China into a gold cold war with the United States. We will not be dragged in. And those were statements that were written in, in articles on public TVs. China will never be drawn into a cold war. Let the United States drop this dream. It's a dream that will not come true. We are not planning to be in the political world order. We do not have any political ambitions. We are just traders. We are merchants. We sell products. Buy our products, you are welcome. Don't buy our products, you are welcome as well. We have products we sell. We, we have no interest in playing any role in the political arena. Okay. So China decided no. And that was a nightmare for Trump. Because Trump's main strategy when he came in from day one, bring us a new enemy. We are tired with this Islamic terrorism. Islamic terrorism is not, will not be working for long. He announced that very soon we will withdraw from Afghanistan. And he put a date. Even before the, the meetings in Doha were, were public which means end of an era. There is an end of an era. But China said no. Well, Trump removed, comes Biden. First thing he does, first thing he does, he talks big about Russia. Cybersecurity attacks, Russia has to pay for that. And then he declares, if Putin wants to meet, let's meet and talk about issues. Now Putin comes and says, okay, I don't mind. We will meet and we will play rivals because Russia had done it before. And the Russians are not as smart as the Chinese. They are more powerful, but less smarter. So Putin accepts. And that was the meeting in June 16th, which took place between Biden and Putin. Let's play rivals. Close enemy friends. 
Or when we say you are the most uh, friend who is enemy, what do you call, call that? Frenemy. Huh? Frenemy. In Arabic, we say Asdaqul A'da. It's the best of the, 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 the most, the, friend, the friendliest enemy. You are uh, our enemy, a friendly enemy. And let's meet, and they did meet in, in June. From that time on, it was already obvious that from this time on, United States and Russia will play again, will dominate the world order, will resolve issues which are uh, vital issues, uh, hot issues, whether they are in China, in Afghanistan, in Libya, in Syria, in Yemen, all over, between the two, between the two, away, aside from anyone else. And everybody else has to watch and listen. And that's what brought the issues of United States speeded up. At one time, they said in September, they will finish withdrawal. Biden said, no, by August 31st, we are out. Everybody should be out, not only us. No one should stay in Afghanistan but Afghanis. Uh, we are out and we are no longer interested in fighting terrorism we have done with that and he said we have finished with Al-Qaeda we went there to, to, to eliminate Al-Qaeda, we did that we went to eliminate terrorism, we did that we no longer terrorism there which is out of a sudden the word terrorism is evaporating, maybe a little bit they keep few here and there ISIS just to keep Taliban busy, locally keep them busy so that they will not have time to do something extra or to uh, uh, or to to resent the relationship with Pakistan at least because now they need Pakistan to help them with ISIS that's that's very local but the reality of the matter today as we speak uh, United States had uh, uh, had uh, struck a deal with Russians so let's play rivals, let's control the world order, has uh, left Islamic terrorism for now. Uh, it's no longer needed. It's no longer needed as a foul. And that is what we have today in the world order. The final word before the uh, Shah comes in, and then if you, after Isha, we can have questions or comments if anybody has. Today, the issue that is needed uh, from us as Muslims uh, I think it was a bit easier a few years ago for an Islamic entity to emerge today it's getting more difficult in some places however this time frame time frame of the withdrawal of the troops the time frame of the world still not catching its breath. It is time, right, for the people, the Muslims in Afghanistan to really go full speed. Every moment they get delayed, they delay the announcement or the declaration or the creation of a final complete Islamic state of Khilafah with all issues. Every day passes it gets complicated more, it becomes more difficult because world order with the United States and Russia becomes more fierce, stronger. Today it's still weak. The bond in the world is still weak. It has not crept so strong. So today 
even if I am too weak, even if my country is too weak, even if I have very little resources, I can manage. But tomorrow, tomorrow, even if my resources become 10 times more than now, it will not be sufficient to stand up to the big world powers when the big world powers continue to be to be in, in good state. Until and unless we have more collapses. If there are more collapses, then that's a different story. But today, as we speak, the world order is moving ahead and strengthening its grip. But now, now, as of August 31st, which is 10 days ago, things are loose, are loose. But they continue to be strengthened day after day. So what we say for the brothers, the Taliban brothers in Afghanistan, now is their time. Now is their time to go very strong politically. They are no longer fighters on the street. Today they have armies controlling Kabul. Today they have government. They have to act as people with government, people with authority, people with complete authority over the land, people who can do whatever they want to do and the world will not be able to do anything to them. Nothing, absolutely nothing. Today, if they declare a Khilafah state, one for all Muslims, not a single European or American country state can take a stand. They can talk, they can bluff, but they will not take a stand. There is no way in the world that America will strike again in 10 or 15 days after it has withdrawn. They can't. Their, their people will not allow them. So this is the time. If it drags for a year or two, as advice coming from different places of Islamic movements, take your time, see how it goes. No, don't take your time. If you take your time, they will take your breath. And I will stop right here. I knew it took too long, but you cannot have this subject broken into pieces. Uh, that's the reason I thought when the brother told me, do you want to, to have it as series of sessions? I said, no, we can't have this as series of sessions. Either we do it once or we cannot. That's what we talk to the brother. Jazakumullah khair. We'll, if there are any questions after Shah uh, prayer, uh, I'll stick around for a short while, inshallah. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and seerah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe. Share and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.